What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Inside Inter Miami, the Miami Herald's show on Inter Miami, bringing you everything about Lionel Messi, Inter Miami. And we're back with another episode. I'm Andre Fernandez, deputy sports editor, joined as always by Michelle Kaufman, Miami Herald's Inter Miami beat writer. Michelle, no Messi last week in my in Fort Lauderdale, but still a victory. So no Messi didn't mean a defeat. It just means the the it kept on rolling and another important victory for Inter Miami over Sporting KC. A tough one though. Came down to the wire. KC scores at the end, makes it interesting. But Inter Miami hangs on, and we wanted to talk to start the show talking about Messi who left the Ecuador game a little early after scoring the lone goal, citing exhaustion. I mean, he actually got tired. He's human. He actually <laughs> got tired. I mean, but he didn't play in the Bolivia game. Argentina was fine. They still won 3 nothing. So he's. it looks like he, you know, caught his breath. He's rested, ready to go. Big showdown game with Atlanta coming up this weekend. And most importantly, we talked about his teammates know now, or at least they believe they can win without him. So that was big. Yeah, I mean, that was that game was it was extremely important for them for many reasons to the Kansas City game. A, you know, they they need all the points that they can get. So they needed the three points. And B, it really did give the whole team a giant boost of confidence, knowing that they could win without him. Obviously, it's better to have him. Obviously, they would prefer to have him there. It's a better team with Leo Messi. Of course, you're going to be a better team without with the best player in the world on your team. But I think even with, with him not being here, he has already infused, I don't even think this, the players talked about it after, he has infused all of them with so much confidence and belief in themselves that they can win and in what they're doing that they were able to win without him and, and score three goals without him. And, and that was a huge boost of confidence for them. They had gotten it a little bit during the, North, during the New York game where they played 60 minutes and took a lead without him which was also very instrumental in their, you know, confidence level. Uh, but doing it for a whole game without him at all playing, without him even being in the vicinity, uh, I think that was a really very, very important game for them to win. And, yes, it was tough. They they came from behind. They they gave up a goal very early, a very rare mistake by Drake Callender. Uh, they gave up a goal in the first 10 minutes, which they had not really done. They had to come back and battle back. And, and Leo Campana had a great game. This is the second game already in the last several games that he's had a brace. He's had two goals. Uh, he had against Cincinnati, and then he had again against Kansas City. And uh, the second goal was a really pretty one with a beautiful cross from, from DeAndre Yedlin. Nice header by Campana. Uh, so, you know, yeah, now they're going to get Leo Messi back, assuming that he's not injured. No one really says that he is injured, just that he left that Ecuador game a few minutes early which was very unusual for him. He never comes out of games once he's in them. So uh, for him to ask to come out or to come out in the last two minutes, citing exhaustion or whatever, it was a little bit rare. But they said that they evaluated him. They didn't see any injuries. He went to Bolivia, traveled with the team for camaraderie, I guess, or whatever. But he, he did not play, which was not a huge surprise. That game was at altitude, 12,000 feet. Uh, you know, it's very hard to play. They're very grueling. And he has... He had played 11 games over 44 days with Inter Miami before he went to the Argentina uh, team. And so, you know, he really had been playing every four days and playing 90 minutes plus in most of those games. So he was playing every four days, uh, needed a break. He got his break against Bolivia. Now, I think it'll be nine days that he will have had a break between the Ecuador game and the Atlanta game. So 
he should be very well rested. Uh, one of the big topics of conversation before he came here at all was whether he would play on turf. And there were rumors that he will not. He will not play an artificial turf. There's no way Messi will play an artificial turf. But he was asked about it in August in his press conference that he had about how he feels about playing on turf because Atlanta plays on artificial turf and so does Charlotte. Those are two road games that are remaining that play on turf. And he said that he would not be opposed to it, that he played on turf when he was a little kid. He hasn't played on it for a long time, but he did play on it early in his career. And he said he'd be willing to adapt to it. So all indications are that he would be ready to play on Saturday. Um, we're talking about a very, very, all his games are highly anticipated, but this one, they have opened the upper deck of Mercedes-Benz Stadium to make it 71,000 capacity. And I'm hearing that they are shooting for uh, trying to set, you know, a record and trying to get 70,000 people to come into that game. So I know that the, the 300 level seats, the last I looked, the 300 level seats, which are the highest up, we're already going for like $300 and that's for the highest way seat. So I think this is going to be a very well attended game for sure. Yeah. I think it's going to outdraw any Falcons game, even probably the, the anticipation for him being there and playing in that atmosphere. That's a heck of an arena. That's a, a great stadium too. As we know, it's hosted national championship games, you know, the college football playoff and, and so forth. And then, and, and I'm not sure if it's had a soup. I think it's had a Super Bowl already too. So nice venue to, to host a, an event of this magnitude. But, um, yeah, and let's see. Let, hopefully it's good after the nine days. Rest. Remember, he did have that little ankle scare, too. So maybe that is good for him to kind of rest it just in case. I mean, we don't know if that may have been the reason he left a little early, maybe. But whatever the case may be, a well-rested Messi is obviously preferable. But speaking of that game, a lot of history between those two. You know, they, they, it seems like one of the teams that Inter-Miami has played more than most in the past. So um, what what do you expect from this Atlanta team itself? You know, and obviously the history there is Joseph Martinez and Tata Martino. They won the MLS Cup together five years ago. And that also carries into another topic. Who does Tata start? Because Campana's been playing amazing, like you mentioned before. And he's really stepped up. So Martinez has struggled a little bit. He's playing a little better now than he was at the beginning of the year. So how do you see kind of like that decision playing out and what to expect, obviously, from Atlanta? Yeah, this is a this is a, a very interesting game with a lot of side stories, a lot of good, uh, you know, tangents that we can talk about on this game. Because, first of all, yes, Tata Martino and Joseph Martinez, Martino Martinez, uh, they <laughs> they both had great success with Atlanta. They were beloved there in 2018, won the MLS Cup. Joseph Martinez was the league MVP that year. He was incredible, scoring left, right, and center. Uh, you know, so they were beloved heroes in Atlanta. They both had huge success there in Atlanta, Data as well as Joseph. This will be the homecoming back for them for the first time, you know, the two of them coming back to play against Atlanta United. So there's going to be a lot of emotions, I think, from them. There will be emotions from the fans, for sure. Uh, it's going to be a game with a lot of history. And then... When you talk about who to play, well, let's talk about the history of these two teams already this year. Um, they've already played twice this year, and Miami won both times. The first time without Messi, the second time with Messi. The first time, Miami won 2-1. to one. In early May, Miami beat Atlanta. And then uh, with Messi in the League's Cup, Miami won 4-0. to zero. They pretty much 
clobbered them, and uh, Messi scored two goals in that game. So Miami does have the edge over Atlanta, even though in the standings, Atlanta's in sixth place with 42 points, and Miami's still down there in 14th place with 28 points. So on paper, in the standings, Atlanta is a better team, but on the field, Miami has beaten them twice and now is coming, you know, with with a well-rested uh, Messi, presumably. Um, as far as who does he start at forward, center forward, that is a huge question because at the beginning of this season when Phil Neville was the coach, the plan was to play two forwards. That was always the plan. Phil talked about it from the beginning of the season that they wanted to play Campana and Joseph Martinez. Campana had been injured much of last season. He was in and out. The, the When he did play, he was great, but he, he had some injuries toward the end of the season. Uh, so they brought in Joseph Martinez to replace Gonzalo Higuain. And the idea was Joseph is going to be really hungry to play well and score because Atlanta did not retain him. They let him go. And like I said, he was a hero there. He loved Atlanta. Atlanta fans loved him. But he was, you know, struggling a bit. He had two knee surgeries, was not the same player after. And Atlanta decided to let him go, which was very painful for him. So the idea was when Miami brought him in, we're going to bring in Joseph Martinez. He's a national team level player for Venezuela. He's, you know, MLS MVP 2018. This is a guy who can score in this league. He knows the league. They brought him in to replace Gonzalo. And the idea was that he would play with Campana up top, the two of them, and they were going to play with two forwards. That was always the plan starting this season. When Tata came, he, he you know, trashed that idea, and, and he's playing with one. He's generally been playing with one forward up top, and he has favored Tata. I mean, excuse me, he's favored um, Joseph. So Tata and Joseph go back a long way. Tata has seen what Joseph is capable of when he's at his best, and he has been starting – Joseph over Leo for most of the games that he has coached. However, the last couple of games, Campana has come in as a sub and scored, and he came in in this game as the starter with Joseph with the Venezuelan national team. It was a great opportunity for Leo Campana to come in and show what he could do because he was left off the Ecuador roster. So he was hungry, motivated, and he came in and bam, scored two goals. And also he has height. I looked up this team. It's a very short team. Uh, I think only three players are above six feet on this team. Leo Campana is one of them and he provides height, which is, you know, obviously a threat, uh, you know, in the box for scoring on headers and also on set pieces. So I think this is nothing against Joseph. I think, Mark, you know, Campana has shown that he's capable of scoring. He also adds the extra dimension of having height and being a threat in the air. So Tata is going to have a difficult decision to decide who to start in this game because uh, obviously Joseph is going to want to start. This is going back to the place that dropped him. Guys always want to go back and play to the place that dropped them. Um, but are you going to sit Leo Campana when he was named MLS Player of the Week? This week he was voted MLS Player of the Week. Are you going to sit that guy down? for sentimental reasons. Uh, I don't think that Data seems like a sentimental guy when he's coming to making decisions on the field. So it's going to be really interesting to see who starts at center forward for this game. Yeah, sentimentalism doesn't gonna, isn't going to win you championships the way Data has in the no. past. And um, But it is an interesting conundrum because, like you said, the aerial game seems to be a little bit better, you know, on set pieces and so forth with Campana. But 
you know, the former MVP does have all that experience in a big game setting like, like you were talking about. But uh, And he also be, knows that field. He knows that field, stadium. Right. And if it has, you know, if there's 71,000 people, a huge crowd, and he knows the artificial turf, he played right. all his years, years there at Atlanta yeah. United. So he's he knows the opponent. He knows the surface. He knows the stadium. So there's a lot that Joseph brings to this game. But Leo is kind of on a hot streak. And when he's MLS player of the week, it would be hard to sit the MLS player of the week the following week. So yeah. I'm glad that I'm not Data right now. <laughs> yeah. Although strategically, I mean, you know, if he comes off the bench too, I mean, it depends on what time too. Sometimes he could come in middle, you know, early second half and make an impact too. So it'll be interesting to see the way they approach that. But let's take a look now at uh, some of the younger guys on this team. Uh, one that we've talked about plenty is uh, Ben Hakramaski, of course, who made his U.S. national team debut against Oman. A big moment for him. Played 20 minutes. Want to talk a little bit about him, Michelle. And of course, the young Argentine uh, Facundo Farias, who scored against L.A. and then scored again against KC. And then uh, we'll get to the, even more of the youth movement later with one of the signings they had. But let's talk about those two guys first, uh, Farias and Kromoski. You know, good moment for Benja to get on the U.S. national team, make his debut. And this kid just continues his ascent right now at such a young age in, in the game. Yeah, I mean, it's really he's moving at warp speed here. It's like he's just skyrocketing. Yeah. A couple of years ago, he was a local kid from Key Biscayne playing at Weston FC with a lot of other young teenage boys in South Florida. All of a sudden now he's on the U.S. national team being called into a game at 18 years old. You know, he was on the under 20 camp just last year in October. Less than one year ago, he was playing on a U.S. under 20 camp where they did scrimmage some with the U.S. senior national team. And, and Greg Berhalter was very impressed with him during that camp. One of the reasons they brought him in, Greg wanted to make a big point when he mentioned that he was bringing Benha in that this is pre-Messi. This is not just the Messi effect that he recognized Benha's talent back in last October when he was there with the U-20 team. Um, I wasn't sure he was going to get into the game, but he did. He came in. He played the last 20 minutes. He had 15 touches. I looked up his stats. He completed 80% of his passes. He had, you know, at the beginning, he struggled a tiny bit, but then he settled in. And, you know, who wouldn't? You're 18 years old. You're playing your U.S. debut. Um but then he settled in and he had a beautiful, a really, really heads up play, a very nice pass to Paredes, who ended up taking a shot and it turned out to be an own goal. You know, it led to a goal. It led to an own goal. But he made a, a beautiful, very, uh, very wise and smart pass to Paredes on the outside on the right, who then knocked it in. And then it was, you know, it was tipped in by their defender. But it did lead to a goal. Um, you know, it's incredible the ascent that Ben Hakramaski is making from 18 years old, being on the academy team, straight up to the second team, straight up to the first team, now on the U.S. national team. And it's a big deal for him to get that debut with the U.S. national team because he is a dual national. He is a, a dual national of the United States and Argentina, and he feels very much Argentine and American. He's really, when he's been asked about it, he really is kind of 50-50. You know, he was raised here, grew up in Key Biscayne, but his family is very, very Argentine. He's very proud of the Argentine roots. They travel there a lot. And obviously he's now playing with Leo Messi. He's playing with, with a guy who is the legend of the Argentine national team. And he's playing for he's playing with someone who was on the you know World Cup champion team. So 
If the World Cup champion Argentina team were to call Benja Kramaski, that would be a difficult no. He has said that he's not closing any doors. He's open to both. And the way it is now, that was just a friendly last night. Um, so, you know, you don't get locked in. Once he plays for a national team, an official game, you know, then you're locked in. You're allowed one change. I found out this rule. If you're under 21 years old, you are allowed one change. Um, you're not penalized if you're under 21 years old. I guess it's just to protect guys who are just really young and maybe make a decision, you know, with their heart more than their head. And then it doesn't work out. And they're still so young that they want, you know, Fifi wants to give them a chance to play for another team. So, you know, he could conceivably pick one team and then switch to the other as long as he's under 21 years old is, is the way I understand the rule. Um, but in any case, usually once you pick a team, you know, you stick with that team. So he is now exploring the options, as they say. And uh, U.S. wanted to show him love. Uh, the USA team wanted to show him that they are interested in him, even at a very young age. It's kind of like with college recruiting in any sport. Sometimes the, the coach who calls first, the school that calls first, ends up winning a lot of brownie points over the ones that come later. So, you know, the USA called him up first. He played for them already. They put him in the game. They let him play 20 minutes. So he's got to be feeling good about the red, white, and blue. But if the Albi Celeste calls and Leo Messi yeah. says, hey, you know, this, come on over. <laughs> come on, hermano, let's go. Yeah. Uh, so then it's that's going to be hard. I don't know that you would say uh, no to Leo yeah. Messi. So, um, but yeah, he's had an incredible rise. and. He's really also been an inspiration to other. This club, I will say one of the things David Beckham was adamant about from day one, from the first time I interviewed him, actually, before they even had the team, he wanted, because he grew up with Manchester United, which is a club that prided itself on bringing up its own and bringing up its academy kids, um, he wanted a team. He felt that South Florida is a hotbed because of all of the immigrant population in South Florida in particular. Uh, there are just so many Latin American players and players from the Caribbean in this market that David Beckham felt from the beginning that there is a lot of untapped talent in South Florida, some playing at clubs and some undiscovered totally who were just playing on a playground somewhere who were not even didn't have the money to pay for some of the club fees that it cost to play a club in the United States. And I know that because my daughter played 14 years club here. It's very expensive. So sometimes kids from, from areas that don't have as much money are not even exposed to some of the national team coaches or the professional team coaches. So David Beckham made it a point from the beginning before Jorge Mas came on, before anything, that he wanted to have a club that, yes, has star players, which they now have, but also he wanted a club that is going to promote from within and promote its academy kids. And they have done that. They now have seven. They signed their seventh yesterday. Uh, Benha Kramaski, at 18 years old, being a starter, going to the U.S. national team, he is a great inspiration and proof that David Beckham's dream is coming true because you have Kramaski, you have Ian Frey, you have Noah Allen, you have David Ruiz, who grew up right here in, in Little Havana playing in Alapata. A kid playing in a park in Alapata, you know, playing for the U.S. national team and playing for Honduras. I mean, excuse me, for the Honduran national team, playing for Inter Miami. So, you know, David Beckham wanted to have youth and, and you know, an opportunity for academy kids to have a path to the pros. And the path is definitely there. Absolutely.
Yeah, and that path continues to see. Oh, you asked about Farias. You wanted to ask yeah. about Farias too. Yeah, he's coming a different way, but also a young player. This one is a Tata choice. Uh, this is a young player from Argentina who was 20. He just turned 21. Uh, a young talent who, who was playing for Colón and uh, in Argentina and was very, very um, highly respected over there. But he had a knee injury, a bad knee injury last year. He missed eight months and his stock dropped a little bit. He was not the buzz wasn't quite there as much after that injury. And but Data has been watching him for a long time. And so he came in and he has already made a big difference, as has Tomas Aviles, who's 19. Those two players came from Argentina. They are players that Data has been watching and knows about. Both of them have come in and played significant roles. Aviles has been starting the last several games in the back and done a good job. And and Farias scored against LA and he scored against the other day against KC. So uh, th there's it's a very, very young team. I mean, it's a really interesting mix of these star players of, of Messi, Boosty, and Jordy. And, you know, uh, you have then you have the young guys. You've got all these young American players from MLS, from the Youth Academy, and then you've got these young Argentine players and uh, from Paraguay, Diego Gomez, whom I believe got injured uh, with the Paraguay national team. So I'm not sure what his status is for this weekend. But yeah. it's a great mix, this team right now, of experience and youth. Yeah, it definitely is. And then uh, speaking of that youth movement, we were talking about it. Another signee this week, too. Uh, we had uh, Santiago Morales, who signed a 16 years old. Santi, they call him, the son of former ML MLS star and Inter-Miami assistant Javier Morales. They signed him through 2027 with an option to, for 2028. Another Argentine, another Argentine-American midfielder, the seventh one promoter from the Youth Academy. So, again, you see the pipeline. You see what you're talking about with what David Beckham envisioned. And another kid who I wouldn't be surprised if in not-too-distant future you see him jumping in there along with these veterans and making an impact too. Yeah, he's a player that um, obviously his father was a star in MLS. His father just retired in 2018, Javi. Uh, very well-respected player. He played in Argentina first. He started his career in Argentina. Then he came to MLS. He played for Real Salt Lake for many years. And then he did his last year with FC Dallas. And uh, he retired from playing in 2018. He became a coach with FC Dallas with their youth academy. And then Miami brought him over in 2019. He joined uh, Inter Miami's youth academy as a coach. And his son, Santi, is very, very talented. He's been on the U.S. under 14s, under 15s, under 16s. I mean, he has been playing consistently on the U.S. national youth teams. Uh, he was a star for the U.S. under-17 team, I believe, last year for a tournament they played in Japan. And I think he won MVP of that tournament. He was only, you know, 15 years old, I think, at that time. He's now 16. Um, really young. I mean, he looks like a little boy. When you look at his picture of him signing and he's there with his father, his mother, and his little brother, I mean, he looks like a little kid. And he is a little kid. He's 16 years old. You know, he probably just got his driver's license. So he at least, well, he doesn't even need to drive to practice. Yeah. I guess he's his he, daddy. Yeah, he, he looks, he, he looks like a kid. His he looks like a kid you see. Just yeah, like he, any he, other kid who's, who, whose right. dad brings him to practice, well, he, except that he's coming to practice with Leo Messi. He, and right. he's coming you, to practice you, with Sergio Busquets. Yeah. You'd have to expect him, you'd have to expect him to see him playing at like Gulliver or one of these high schools instead of playing for the freaking Inter Miami team. And here he is, 16 years old. 
Yeah, his dad's bringing him into practice to play with the best players of of the of their generation, which is incredible. And yes, he is another Argentine. You know, it really is. I mean, at some point, they may have to change the team colors from pink and black to light blue and white, because if you start counting, you have Leo Messi, you have Kremaski, you know, you have Santi now. Uh, Nick Nico Stefanelli is also from Argentina. Um, and Negri is also from Argentina. He's injured right now, also from Argentina. You've got a lot of Argentine influence and then of course Tata Martino is from Argentina and pretty much his entire coaching staff is also from Argentina so uh there's a huge 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 Argentine influence which there always has been actually on this team uh you know Gonzalo Higuain and his brother also were you know from Argentina the first uh you know wave Nico Figal and uh, LGP were also from Argentina so you know, there's always been an Argentine influence down here. Argentinians love South Florida. There's a huge Argentine population here. One of the reasons Messi came in the first place. Um, so, you know, there is a big influence of Argentinians here. And this is the youngest one now, 16 years old. And uh, it'll be interesting. You know, he said he doesn't think having his father as an assistant will be a distraction. He's been dealing with that for a long time. His dad was a youth coach. With, the, with Inter Miami when he was on the youth team with Inter Miami. And he said he's used to being around his dad on the practice field and they've got that worked out. So, um, but yeah, very talented kid has been on the radar of the U.S. National Federation for quite some time. Since he was a really little kid, 14 years old, 15, 16. Um, this is a guy who has a lot of upside and, uh, you know, he's really young now. He's 16. I mean, I don't know what kind of playing time he'll get now, but he's going to be now training full time with, with literally the best player in the world and some of the other best players in the world and a team that is that has not lost in 12 games in a row, which is unbelievable, 12 games in a row without a loss heading into Atlanta. So, uh, yeah, Santi, Santi Morales is, a, is an interesting signing, a young kid that, you know, you will definitely be hearing about in the future. For sure. And um, just that this week, I mean, not only a crucial victory, but it was good to see a good crowd out there. We talked about that last week, and we were both wondering how is the crowd turnout going to be without Messi there? Since we know, obviously, remember the first game when this whole run started, everybody left the second he, you know, ex or not the first game, the second game. Everybody exited the second that he came out of the game. How was the atmosphere uh, this past week with him not there, Michelle? Yeah, you know, last week, I remember we talked about two things that we were interested to see, A, how will the team respond, and B, how will the fans respond? Like, how would the whole thing be different without the goat there? No goat, no goat grazing on the field over there. How would it be? And I have to say, I was really, really impressed. 19,500. So, you know, almost a sellout. I mean, very close to a sellout without Messi there. And the fans were, I, I will say, most of them were still wearing Messi shirts. Most of them still had on the number 10. Maybe some people didn't even know if they don't follow our podcast and if they don't read the Miami Herald, maybe they wouldn't know <laughs> that he wasn't playing. But I think the majority of the people who follow the team obviously would know that he was not going to play. It's the FIFA window that he's going to be with the Argentine national team. So, uh, but the, the crowd was still great. It was almost 20,000 people. It, it only seats 21,000. So they were 1,500 short of having a sellout. And the crowd was spirited. It was active. They had a great time. Miami scored three goals, so there was a lot to celebrate. There was tension at the end, like you said. You know, they made it three to two at the very end there. And uh, the final eight minutes or so and six minutes of added time was very tense until they finally blew the whistle. Uh, there was also some controversy 
Uh, the KC people were not happy with Busquets. I don't know for those of you who watched the game, Busquets, uh, there was the, the referee called a handball on Kansas City, and they, they were arguing it with him. The, some of the players were arguing with the referee about that call, but he called it, and Boosie just grabbed the ball. Busquets grabbed the ball, put it down, made a quick restart, kicks a perfect distance, long-distance pass to Farias, who scored a beautiful goal one-on-one -on, -one on the keeper. That goal from Farias was started by Busquets on a very heads-up veteran play because this guy's been around the block about a thousand times. And when you see them arguing and the ball is, you know, and, and the ball's already been called as a, as a handball, he just grabbed the ball, put it down and started the play. Uh, Kansas City, I, I actually had to go as the pool reporter. The, every, every stadium has a pool reporter, a home reporter. And when there is a question about something in the officiating, and if the other media wants to know about it, the, the pool reporter is responsible for going and, and asking that question that, that the other reporters have. So the Kansas City reporters were curious as to why that was called a handball. First of all, they felt that it wasn't a handball, maybe. And they also wanted to know why uh, the referee allowed the play to go on, even though the ref was not even watching the play. The ref was arguing with, not arguing, but discussing with players from Kansas City. And uh, anyway, the referee said it was all completely fine. It was completely kosher, completely fine, uh, you know, because that, that happens in professional soccer all the time. He said he was not the one who initiated. The referee said he's not the one who initiated the discussion with the players. The players decided to come discuss with him, but that doesn't mean that the play was not ongoing. So there was nothing illegal about that play. It was really just a very savvy play by Busquets to make to make that play. So uh, anyway, the atmosphere, there was there was a lot for fans to celebrate. There was a huge crowd and it showed it proved to me that a the team is is just overall elevated, that they could win without Messi. And number two, it also proved to me that the, the team is really establishing a fan base that, of course, is centered around Messi because most of the people had on the number 10. But it is a fan base that is really starting to support this team and getting excited about the playoff push with or without Messi. They're interested to see is Inter Miami going to make the playoffs and how they're doing. And, and they're excited to see the other players too. They're, they're starting to get to know the names of all the other players who are not named Busquets and Alba. And, uh, and so, yeah, I think, I think the whole team has evolved because of Messi, even when he's not there. Yeah, and that's going to be crucial, obviously, like we said, down the stretch. Different things can happen, and, and really you cannot waste any result down the stretch if they're going to make the playoffs, if they're even going to make the play-in round, let's say. But let's look at that road. I mean, they get another crucial three points. Now they're, now is it, there, is it that they've, they've erased that big gap that there was almost between 13 and the last two teams in the Eastern Conference so now is when, if they continue to win, you're gonna, you may start see them finally jumping a few teams and starting to draw a little bit closer. It obviously starts with Atlanta, but you know, what does Miami have to do? The, you know, the game's coming up. They have a, a home game against Toronto, and then of course another game against that rival Orlando before they face, before they actually play for the U.S. Open Cup, which has nothing to do with MLS standings, but another big championship atmosphere. And, and what's the latest on that, Michelle? They finally moved it to Hard Rock. Have you heard anything? No, that's it's gonna be it's gonna be at uh it's gonna be Wednesday, September twenty seventh at Drive Pink Stadium. They've kept okay. it at Pink. 
think they've just decided that it's a midweek game. It's again, Houston. They'd rather just have a full house and have the atmosphere of the place where they've been playing rather than introduce a whole new set of uh, situations. And maybe there were business angles to that too. I don't know. Uh, but no, that game is going to be at Drive Pink Stadium. Uh, they've been selling tickets for that. That's going to be on September 27th. It's going to be on shown on Telemundo. Also, by the way, for people who don't have the Apple Pass, you will be able to watch that game uh, in Spanish on Telemundo. As far as a playoff scenario, yeah, I mean, now it gets really, really, really interesting because they were 12 points behind. Now the gap is six points. They went from 12 points back to six points back. They're still in 14th place. They have to get to ninth. But the gap point-wise is what's important is how many points. They now are six points behind D.C. United. Miami has 28 points. D.C. United has 34 they have to make up those six points. So other teams have to lose. They have to win. They have eight teams. They have eight games left. Okay. For those of you who are mathematicians, which I am not, I never enjoyed my math classes in high school. Sorry to all my math teachers. That just was not my forte, which is why I became a journalist. Uh, journalists are traditionally, you know, not very good at math. So anyway, um, but uh, there, there are eight games left now. And if they were to win five or six out of those eight games, I believe they make the playoffs. You know, they basically, uh, I've said before, and this still holds true, last year the ninth place team had 42 points. Over the previous three years, the ninth place team had an average of 43.3 points, I believe. So if they get in the neighborhood of 42 to 43 points, that traditionally is good enough for ninth place. Right now, they're at 28 points. So if you do the math, even I can figure that out. Uh, they they need to win, you know, they need to win five. If they win five games, that's 15 points. That gets them to 43. If they win six games, you know, that's 18 points. That makes them even closer. So it is definitely not impossible. Back when they were down by 12 points, everyone was saying, well, how many games in a row can they win? I mean, come on, they're not going to keep winning. Well, guess what? They just keep winning. Uh, they've, they've gone unbeaten for 12 games with one tie, 11 victories. Um, and now we'll see, we'll see what they can do over the last eight games. I do think Messi will probably be missing for the Charlotte game at home. The sec, the penultimate game is the next FIFA window. So if he goes with Argentina to that game, which I think is a Peru game, uh, he would not be here for that game against Charlotte at home. Other than that, I believe he will be available for seven at least of the games. So they have to win probably five or six games uh, in order to get into the playoffs. Six for sure, I think, will get him in, I would think. You never know. Again, it's based on the math of how the other teams do. But um, 42, 43, 44 points would be an excellent number for them to aim for. So these next several games are going to be really critical. They have uh, three league games coming up this week so they have atlanta on the road they have toronto at home which is one of the lower teams so that's a game that i'm sure they will want to you know get three points there and then they have a road game at orlando which is a big rivalry game so very interesting three games coming up we're going to know a lot more after these next three games about their playoff uh, situation yeah and then after all of that after the U.S. Open Cup, when they jump right back in, another couple of tough ones because New York, New York City FC, and then they have a date with Cincinnati still down the road before that home and home 
with Charlotte to wrap it up. So tough stretch. Yeah. But you know, not not they they need every point they can get right now, and it'll be fun. It'll be a fun ride. I think it'll be interesting to see how how long they can keep this unbeaten streak going. And and see if in in the process maybe they they hoist another trophy in hoist the meantime. Uh, in the meantime. They, if they take down the Houston Dynamo on the twenty seventh at Drive Pink, but we'll be there to document every step of the way, week by week. We appreciate you watching the show, listening to the show. Remember, it's available as a podcast. If you can't watch it, you can always listen to it on Spotify, iTunes, all your favorite podcatchers. So for Michelle Kaufman, I'm Andre Fernandez. Thanks for joining us once again, and we'll be back next week. Yes, thank you. Thanks for watching.